Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. My name is Amanda Bible Williams. And I am Rachel Bible Myers. I love it when you do that. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Advent Week 2. Rachel, what did we talk about in this episode? It was a good one. It was a good one. One of my favorites. You always say that. (laughs) Uh, We talked about temples and tabernacles and Burning Bush and Target. You have to talk about Target occasionally. And, um, you know, whether we're allowed to say this or not, we did talk about copyright law a, a good bit. Also Jesus, also scripture. We read a lot of Bible, a lot, a little bit of Spurgeon. A little bit. Yeah. Guys, you're going to love this episode. We learned a lot and really thought about a lot. And I think you will learn a lot too. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Amanda. It is the second week of December. It is the second Advent episode. Hooray. And uh, <laughs> hooray! Our last episode that was more sincere than it sounded. Hooray! I'm into it. It's okay. Fine. Good. So last week we kind of uh, talked about the least Christmassy prophecy of all the Advent prophecies, which is involved a snake. Yeah, involved a serpent in the garden. Yes. Uh, but this week we're going to talk about perhaps the most Christmassy prophecy, which is that Jesus will be Emmanuel. He will be God with us, which feels very Christmassy. Agreed. And I think so Christmassy that I don't know that I, anyway, really think about what that phrase means every time I utter it or sing it or see it on a Christmas cross stitch like last year. Didn't it say God with us? Yeah, last year's cross stitch said God with us. This year's says something else you'll have to see in the book. Is it because you don't know what it is? No, it is. It's for a second. I had to think about it. <laughs> a it, thrill of hope. It says a thrill of hope. Thrill Good job. Hope. You did Thank it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So we're going to talk about what God with us meant in the garden, what it meant in the Old Testament, what it meant when Jesus was a baby and a man, and what it means for us now. But before we get into that, it feels important to mention that we do have a special guest with us again this week, and it is the same special guest as last Still week. Special. Not Still special. wearing John Greco. Not wearing a Charlie Brown t-shirt this time. Yeah. But wearing red and green plaid. And we do appreciate yeah. your festivities. I so thanks for very coming. Hard. And every week John shows up in Christmas garb, and every week Rachel and I do not. <laughs> but it's okay. That's fine. It's okay. I'm wearing shoes this week. That's an improvement. Yeah. I appreciate that. You know, anything for the team. <laughs> yeah, I should say I really like Christmas. So, like, I have no problem. I want to dress like Great. any opportunity I get. I'd like to point out that John heard me say with my mouth last week that we don't allow red in our home. And yet he came this week with a red shirt yep. on. Feels like he didn't take the like no, in. I'm, I'm looking to get fired. <laughs> I think I think you should go uh, Santa hat next time. There we go. It's just, just going to escalate. Yes, I agree. Okay, good. All right. So, we got that settled. <laughs> Let's talk about what, I mean, it's arguable, but what I think is the most Christmassy prophecy. There are so many good ones, but let's talk about God with us. John, start us off. All right. Well, why don't we read it first? Yeah. Um, so okay. this is in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and I will read from the ESV. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to be God. Thanks be to God. We can't help it. Those are the things that we say in our office every time we read the Bible. We forgot one, though. Yeah. We added, you added one. What do we say now? I know. When we finish reading the scripture. So every Monday morning, we yeah. have team devotions as our very first thing of the week. And when we finish reading the scriptures now, I don't know, I felt inspired to do this 
not because of anything, but it just feels important to ask ourselves this question. So when we finish reading whatever passage it is with the community, I ask, do you believe this is true? And we say, we do. Or you don't. Or not. Yeah. I mean, there's no the like... We and see who's not saved. If you're employed at She Reads Truth, you're not required to respond, we do. But they do. And it's the sweetest moment to all agree in unison that we believe that what we just read is true. It's a good declaration to make once a week, I think. Yeah. In my opinion, I like to, really, anytime I read scripture, when I finish reading, I like to ask myself, do I believe this is true? Mm-hmm. I think it's important. Not, do I feel like this is true? Yeah. Nope. Do I believe this is true? I do. So anyway, thank you, John, for reading that. I do believe that is true. Yeah. I thought it would be helpful, and you kind of alluded to this, like, this is, you know, Isaiah's in the middle of our Bibles, right? The the birth of Christ is the beginning of the New Testament. We've got all the Old Testament that comes before it. And I thought it would be a good idea to go back to the beginning of the story and kind of frame the whole story of redemption to see where God with us fits in. So, okay. so let's go okay, back to the garden. Let's do that. All right. Let's here go we go. Back to the garden. To but, the garden. But we just went to the garden. Yeah. We're going to go back again. Well, what I want to like. We're going to change this to the back to the garden. Back podcast. to the garden podcast. Um, what, <laughs> what, I wanna, idea. what I want to yeah. um, kind of start us talking about, and we're going to see this not just in the garden, but, you know, throughout the Bible, is this is a theme. This isn't something that just shows up in Isaiah and. Isaiah's original audience goes, oh, that's a great idea. What, what if God was with us? That'd yeah. be neat. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's a theme that starts in the garden and then uh, continues. So in the garden, right, you have these this scene where God is said to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, right? And it's not, it, we don't get a full picture of what the garden looked like, but the idea that's there in those early chapters is that God is there with his people, yeah. right? They are They are living with him. This is a you know, the garden, it becomes like a, um, if you were to like take the imagery that's there and then take some later scriptures and look back at them, you would see this as a, a temple image. It's the idea of you get to come and draw close to God. And and it was better than that because Adam and Eve lived there. They yeah. lived in the presence of God. And a place where God walked in the cool of the day. That's incredible. Like that's... What a neat detail. Like, right. And that that was just, just a thing that yeah. happens is we're hanging out in the garden with God and, you know, he's walking around, it's we're walking the, around. I mean, yes, it's the very first God with us, but it's a God with us like we don't even we've understand. No, we've never known that. Wow. Yeah. And we get very quickly, like we saw last time, you get to chapter three and, and things fall apart. You know, right. Adam and Eve sin, they're tempted by the serpent, and then... This fellowship in the garden, it ends. Right. Um, and and I mean, that we know. Yeah. Right? Like mm-hmm. that, that we part, feel that. That part resonates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I get that. We experience that. But they're told they have to leave. And the reason is God doesn't want his people, his family, to remain broken. He doesn't want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever in this broken state. So he says, you need to leave. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't abandon his people. One of the things I think is really helpful is we're reading any part of the Bible is to know that the plan God has in the beginning, right? God creates this world, this universe, and he calls it good. And he makes people, men and women, to bear his image, to represent him to all of creation and to one another. 
And, you know, he says this in the commission, right? Be fruitful, multiply, rule over the birds and the fish and the world. And it says he's, that we are created in his image. And that's not just a description, but it's, it's also like a command. Go and bear my image. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot at the office recently because if you do not know yet, we will be reading Genesis. We'll be going back um, to the garden. <laughs> <laughs> to begin the year, which really feels appropriate. Yeah. And it, it's been um, at least a few years since four. we've, four years since we've read Genesis as a community. Mm -hmm. So it's time. But we've talked about the note that God created mankind in his image and that that isn't just what we look um, like, an observation or a fact. It's also a commission and we are created to represent God to the world. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. I just had not really thought of it that way. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, some of these stories are so familiar. We read them and then we kind of, we're so familiar with them, we rewrite through that and, for, and don't always see what's there. So this is commission. You know, one of the other things that people, again, because we're so used to it, kind of miss is that, you know, God creates this world, but the Garden of Eden doesn't fill it. It's a small corner of this yeah. planet. And God's commission to Adam and Eve is, hey, spread this garden out. Make the whole world like this place. Make the whole world my temple. Make the whole world a place where people can dwell with God. And he never rescinds that command. That's our marching orders from the beginning till today and mm-hmm. till the end of time, to make the world more and more like a place where God will dwell with his people. Even um, when we show our cards and show that we're going to be runners and, you know, and run away and mm-hmm. disobey and all of those things. It's like, no, no, we're still doing this. Yeah. I mean, the analogy I like to, to use is it's sort of like, you know, there's this game board set up and God says, this is, this is the object of the game. We're going to make all of earth like Eden. And we sort of don't know how to play the game, don't want to play the game. We do everything we can to turn the board over. And God says, no, no, no. We're gonna we're gonna do this. We're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna get to the end of the game. We're gonna we're gonna get to the end of what the the reason I created this world. I want a human family. I want people who are just like me, sons and daughters. And he never gives up on that. And so this theme of God with us doesn't go away. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be his human family. It's the original design, right? And so. We leave the garden, right? And then God shows up and speaks to people, right? He's speaking to people who will kind of carry forth the story of redemption. You know, there's obviously, he speaks to Cain, says, hey, don't do this thing. Which again, not a small deal. Right. God that speaking speaks to, Cain. <laughs> to right. humans. Yeah. And in something that we, you know, we're when we become more familiar with the Bible and we just read like, and God spoke mm-hmm. to Abraham and, but Wow. Like, thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you, God of Mm -hmm. the universe, creator of all that I can see. Like, that's remarkable. It's a pretty earth shattering moment. Right. Yeah. So God speaks to Cain. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no. And just because you stopped me, I want to kind of point out a little detail that, again, it's one of these things we we don't, we often skip over. It says that when Cain and Abel brought their offerings, they bring them to a location, right? Mm. So there's a like a, a centralized location. They're saying, this is where the Lord is. In our minds, we kind of go like, oh, well, of course, you know, there's no... There's no, they can't see God. God doesn't, no longer walks in the cool of the day. But scripture doesn't exactly say that. It doesn't tell Mm. us. We just know they go to a place. Maybe it's Hmm. the, maybe it's the entrance to where the garden is. Maybe they're getting close to it. They say, God, God is in that place. We're going to go as close as we can. Hmm. Maybe it's a place that for whatever reason has been, you know, is is a sacred place. We don't know. But the idea is that they're interacting with God, just like he's another person. So they knew still where the garden was. We don't know. We don't know. But 
there's no clue that, you know, it wasn't like it was lost to time. We know that it's guarded. Right. Like that scripture tells us it's yep. guarded. They can't but, get back in, but. Um, and of course so we can't find it that's today. One of, that's one of the theories. We don't really know. It's, just, it's interesting sure. that they went to a place. Because I would mm-hmm. think like, okay, you're kicked out. God is everywhere. I'm going to light my altar right here and, and just go for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And we don't know. But there's, this, so anyway, just just that just the, we often read over that. And it's it's this detail that I think is really neat. Hmm. But anyway, back back on track. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so this idea of God with us. So God's speaking to people. He hasn't given up on his creation. And we get to this scene where the people, they balk against God's command to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. They say, no, let's stay in one place. So they're, they're rejecting this idea that they're to be God's image bearers. Instead, they're mm-hmm. saying, let's set up camp right here. Let's build a tower. Let's make a name for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so God rejects those people. He says, if you're not going to procure my commission, then I'll start over. So it's not coincidental. The next chapter is Abraham, right? So wait, go back to that because he says, I'll start over, but with the Tower of Babel situation, it was also that he changed all their languages and sure. sort of forced them to yeah. spread out. And so it was, help me understand, was it that like he was like, okay, it's not working with you guys, I'm going to start with someone else? Or was it he saying like, it's not working with you guys, but here's what I'm going to do with you to use you still? It's not that he's given up, but he's uh-huh. put this temporary, and if, it doesn't say that in Genesis. You have to go to Deuteronomy to see this. If you go to Deuteronomy, I'll just flip there real quick. Chapter 32, this is Moses, and he's kind of recounting God's work in the world. And he says, let's see, I'll start at verse 7. Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. Hmm. So it's alluding to that story with the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Just before that, you have the Table of Nations, kind of shows where they spread out to, where the descendants of Noah ended okay. up. But the idea is that God said, okay, fine, you want to do that? You do what you're going to do. I'm going to divorce you. You're going to become the nations of the world, and I'll start my own people. Um, and, he, and he does. Mm-hmm. The next chapter, he calls Abram. And the reason I wanted to get to Abram is because there is this miracle of birth yeah. that we're going to see again and again. Mm-hmm. When God wants to do something new, when God wants to push the story of redemption forward, he often does a miracle of birth. And in this case, Sarah is old, she's barren, they have no children, Abraham is old, and God says, I'm going to make from you a great nation that yeah. will be a blessing to the mm-hmm. whole world. It reminds me of the passage in Isaiah, I feel like it's 41, we'll look it up and put it in the show notes, but where the scripture is talking about the Lord turning, um, creating springs in a dry land and, and doing things that only he can do so that the people know that he has done it, that yeah. the Lord has done this. Right. And so that's how I feel about the, all of the barren, you know, Sarah having a baby and then later, you know, we'll talk about the others and um, Elizabeth and, and then the virgin birth. It's like only God can do these things. Oh, that's right. interesting. I hadn't thought about the the springs in a barren place too. That's I hadn't cool. either, yeah. but it feels, it feels right. It feels relevant. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it is, it's an echo back to, it's an echo back to the garden saying like, Hey, remember when I created people out of nothing, I'm going to do it again. Right. I'm going to take something barren and let make there be life. no confusion. Who is at work here? Right. This is not just any nation. This is a nation I created from nothing. Right. Because I created mankind to begin with. So I, you know, no big deal right. <laughs> for me to create a people for myself. Like right. we can do this. Yeah. But as the story goes on, it's God wanting to be with his people, right? He speaks to Moses in the burning yeah. bush and then he instructs him to build the tabernacle, a place that he can dwell, his presence can dwell 
with the people of Israel. There are so many God with us right. moments, like so many, you know, we talked about when God spoke to, you know, Abraham or, or other people, but I hadn't even thought about the Moses, yeah. but the burning bush, that's a God with us moment. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. And the like, you know, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Yeah. yeah. Like God is here. Yeah. And that is something that I feel like is modern day Christians where we believe that we have God's spirit, which we will talk about this, that that, mm-hmm. that is, you know, God with us. It, I think sometimes I can become a little bit immune to the, what is the word, just kind of the audacity of being in the presence of the Holy God yeah, and what those moments would have been like. And then the tangible kind of grandeur of like, of setting foot, you know, into the temple, into of the creating tabernacle. a space, not right. just for God to dwell with his people, but designed by God to right. dwell with his people within like with explicit instruction like that. Right. And this has been a progression like this story of God with us has, you know, the same God, the same goal, the same redemption story, but God with us has looked a little bit different along the way. Is that fair to say? Like you've got the garden and then you've got the tabernacle and the temple and then Jesus and we're going there, but yeah. And I think what's happening is it's both looking back and looking forward. So if yes. you look at the tabernacle, look at the temple, there are these design cues that are supposed to point you back to the garden, right? These images of creation that are there. And the temple, the tabernacle, both become places, again, where God dwells with his people, just like mm-hmm. the Garden of Eden was. But they're also pointing forward to, hey, God is going to dwell with his people as Jesus. Yeah. And so even though, and this is one of the neat things that, like, We'll just skip ahead to the the temple. Um, you know, Solomon, David's son Solomon, will build the temple, a permanent dwelling place for the Lord in Jerusalem. And I was recently reading First and Second Kings and writing about it. And one of the things that kind of struck me was uh, I'd heard this years ago, but it came to mind. I was reading about Solomon's construction of the temple. And years ago, it might have been in seminary. I don't remember, but I I first encountered the idea that the temple in Jerusalem was really not all that unique. It looked like a lot of the temples in the ancient world. Hmm. I mean, sure, there was no idol in the Holy of Holies, and, you know, obviously it was different because God's presence dwelled there, but the basic layout was something that anybody in the ancient world familiar with temple worship would have said, yep, got this. They would have know this floor plan. This. Yeah, same same way when, when we walk into a Chick-fil-A, we know exactly where everything is, right? I really do. Um, yeah. I know so, exactly where to go. <laughs> or a Target. Or a Target. Oh, yeah. Or a Target. Because... You feel like you're they at home be, no matter what state you are in. That's right. And then you can just like flip it. Like maybe if the... If it's a mirror target. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But it, once you realize which kind of target you're in is the is the produce like on the left or, or right the right. Handed. Exactly. Yeah. Then you know right where to go. <laughs> Sorry for being so excited about target. Yes. But. The target and the temple. Okay. Back to the temple. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like when I first discovered that or heard that, I was like kind of saddened by it. I was like, oh, I want everything about the temple to be totally unique, right? It says that, you know, that the tabernacle was patterned after a model in heaven, right? That there's a there's a heavenly tabernacle that was the model for the Where earthly one. Where does it one. say that? Oh, it says that next to us. I'll have to look it oh. up. I'm putting you on the spot, but we'll yeah, put that sorry. in the show notes because I want to um, read that. No, but yeah. that's really interesting because this was not the world's idea, right? Like we can... Well, that's the thing that's weird because it it's kind of is, right? Like it's it fits. Huh. So we don't know we don't know what came first. If like, you know, there's sort Chicken of this, the egg. if there's this 
ancient memory of the temple imagery that kind of got into every culture somewhat in that that part of the world, or if God is saying, yeah, I modeled this, this is in heaven, and I did it in a way that when it came to earth, it would look like something familiar, because that's what I want to get to. The thing that changed it for me from being this, oh, this is this, they just, it sort of looks like everything that makes it less special is... Right, because that's how I felt when you just said that, like, ah. But instead what it is, is God is saying, hey... I want to be close to you and I'm going to speak the language you speak. Okay. And you know, when you go to worship, this is what a temple should look like. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a temple. I'm going to have my people build a temple and it's going to be familiar, but a little different. But this one, yeah. this one's different. Because I'm there. Because I'm there. Yeah. Um, but he spoke in those instructions. He spoke the culture of the day and said like, this is what you're familiar with. This is what you know. And Which- he, Jesus. I know right. we're getting there, but like, you know, how... Direct quote Amanda yeah. Williams. Which? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Go ahead and tweet that, everyone. Uh, yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Hashtag. So, but yes, like the, he spoke our language, right. you know, mm-hmm. like our, the language of being human mm-hmm. and of experiencing the world and humanity and putting on flesh. Anyway, I'm excited. Keep yeah. talking. So anyway, so, so we've got the, the tabernacle and then the temple, and then there's this promise, you know, that... God will give us his spirit. His spirit will dwell within us. And there's this promise, you know, we just read in Isaiah that there's a baby coming, God with us. Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea that like there's a future hope where God will be with us, it's there in the Old Testament and the people are waiting and they're not quite sure how this is going to look. But when Christmas happens, the mystery is unfolded. We kind of talked last time an ancient Israelite wouldn't necessarily have been able to put all the pieces together and nobody was waiting outside of Bethlehem going, yep. God's going to come as a baby any minute now. Any minute I just now. have to wait. No, I mean, but in hindsight, we can look and say, oh, this is what Isaiah was speaking about. This yeah. is what the prophets were saying. And so that is why, like, it's not just a detail. I've heard people say things like, you know, Isaiah said that prophecy because it proved who Jesus was when he came. I don't think it's that. I think this theme of God with us is there and it's always been there. And Jesus coming as a baby, born to a virgin, placed in a manger, is the fulfillment of that, this real intangible temple in a person, mm-hmm. you know, God right. with us, coming, you know, it, it was, we were kicked out of the garden because God didn't want us to be broken forever. So it's a way of saying we couldn't return to him. So he comes to us. He mm-hmm. put on flesh and became one of us. Which, of course, is the incarnation. And um, pause, incarnation, definition. John, you be our glossary. What's okay, it? so when we think about the incarnation, because this is the thing that can trip us up a little bit. If you read in the Old Testament, God shows up in bodily form a few times. He goes and he comes to Abraham in Genesis 18, uh, brings two angels with him. Um, so the idea of God being uh, arriving in bodily form isn't necessarily... I don't want to say that big a deal because that's a big deal. It's a very big but, deal. <laughs> but but the incarnation is different. Okay. God, yeah. Uh, God the Son didn't just come in bodily form. He took on flesh. He became human. Yeah. He, nothing was taken away from the second person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Instead, he added humanity to his nature. So he's fully God and nothing takes away from that. Full stop. And he's fully human. It's so hard to comprehend. Right. Agree. It, it, I'm, I'm trying right now. <laughs> and this this is the God with us moment. I think that is the, we talked about how difficult it is to comprehend God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Yes. And even more than that, this is something that is just such a mystery to me that, that he could be fully God and fully man, even as you read about his ministry and, you know, having 
all wisdom and all knowledge as God, and also being limited, physically limited as a man, feeling hunger, feeling these things. But it's just fascinating to me. And I do not understand and it. Speaking our metaphorical language, you know, yeah. like speaking, because I would have to imagine that what you were talking about, John, of, of God taking on bodily form in the Old Testament. You know, I think of when Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God and then he comes down and well, he has to veil his face because he was terrifying the people because his face shone for meeting with God. And so I feel like, and I don't know this, this is me speculating, um, that just feels very different than, I mean, it's all of that glory, but in a person. Right. Which I've read... I think it's in the screw tape letters where C.S. Lewis sort of describes or helps us, helps his readers to understand what it actually meant, the humility of Jesus, which is sort of a common use, a common way to describe Jesus becoming a man. And the way that, and I, I don't have the direct quote, but we'll stick it in show notes. The way that C.S. Lewis describes it is he says, imagine being a man and uh, being asked to become a worm and to take on all the limitations of what a worm can see and do and, and hear and, and feel and um, achieve, all of those things, and to feel as lowly as a worm, having been a man. And, and the way that he described... And somehow still being a And man? somehow I, still being God. Yeah. I told you I can't understand yeah. it, and I also can't explain it. But it helped me, I think, understand... We talk about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, but I think also to think about the sacrifice of the son to become a man to us it's a it's a handy thing to be a human but to god it had to have been so limiting it, he right. he he fasted he was hungry we in mark especially um i think as he writes he really does a good job of describing some of the human feelings and and things that jesus experienced and it's pretty interesting to think about how, you know, the humility of Jesus to go from being fully God to stepping into humanness for us. Yeah. And, and and the cool thing about that is that he did, he became like us so that we could become like him. Right. And I love Lewis and the idea of him becoming a worm is helpful, but like as you were saying, Amanda, it kind of falls apart because how, how are you worm and man? Uh, you know, At the same time. Right. Like, I mean, the incarnation is so beyond our understanding. Right. But the idea that, you know, he humbled himself, the way, the way that Paul describes it in Philippians is he said he became nothing. He said, though he was, this is Philippians chapter two, verse six, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, Wow! taking the form of a servant. So that's the difference. It's not man and worm. That's not big enough. Who needs Lewis when you have Paul? Right. <laughs> still, We still love you, Clive. We do. We do. I bet it, you they're having great conversations right now. Oh, my goodness. Hey, y'all. It's Katie from She Reads Truth. If you're still making your list and checking it twice, you're in luck. This Friday, December 13th, is the last day to get fast shipping to have your gifts arrive by Christmas. A few of our favorite gifts are old and new study and legacy books like Genesis and This is the Gospel. Don't forget about the She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth Bibles and our kids' resources. Give the gift of truth this season and shop our Christmas collection today at shopshereadstruth.com. So I want to go back to what you said, Rachel. You said he became like us so that we could become like him. And so 
is this like a trading places? Like right. I, I feel like I want us to unpack that a little bit. I think the best way that I, I think I understand that is so that we could have fellowship with the father. Okay. I think yeah. that he came and had fellowship with us, gave his life and experienced human life, but sinless. So he laid down his sinless life on our behalf. He paid the yeah. price for us. And in an exchange, we get not just God with us for the years that Jesus had his feet on earth and not in the way that we experience that in the Old Testament, but because he became like us, we get to become like him. We get fellowship with the Father. We get Revelation 21. Yes. Let's go there. Let's go to Revelation 21 because that is, is that what you would say is, John is like the final chapter you've been sort of laying out for us, this progression through the scriptures of God with us. So we have the incarnation and then what? Well, I just want us to not lose sight of the original mission, the thing that God commissioned Adam and Eve to do. He said, be my representatives. He said, be my image to all of creation. Mm -hmm. And I want to make all of earth just like Eden. And you're going to do it. You're going to be my representatives to do that work. He never gives up on that. And so the Garden of Eden, what it really was, was a place where heaven and earth come together. And that's what we have in Revelation. Amanda, I'm watching you. I know you opened your Bible there. I do. And you can tell it's at the end, right? Here I am in Revelation. Okay. So yes, this is where I was hoping that we were going. Um, Revelation 21, which let's be honest, any opportunity we have at the um, Shearer's Truth office to read Revelation 21. Yeah. We take it, mm-hmm. and here's why. So I'm just going to read. With our praise um, hands in the air. Praise hands <laughs> in the air. Um, I'm just going to read verses 1 through, let's do 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Do you believe this is true? I I do. do. I do. This is the Christmas story. It is. And and this is the ultimate God with us. Yeah. And like you said, John, like the coming back to the garden and to dwelling and walking in the, the cool of day of the new heaven and the new earth with God. That is where we are headed. That's our future hope. Just like the mm-hmm. the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the future hope of the Messiah, we have the benefit of having seen the Messiah's coming, and now we are waiting mm-hmm. for that second coming, for our future hope, which is this right here, the no more grief, no more pain. We've talked a lot I mean, about what grief. what if that's today? Yeah. I mean, let's like, go. Lord, come let's quickly. go. Let's go. <laughs> but, you know, we've talked a lot about some heavy things in just the few episodes that we've done yeah. on this podcast already. And the reason that we can mm-hmm. and the reason that it's okay to just go there and then it doesn't just end with a like womp womp. Mm-hmm. It's no, but we hold all of those things 
those true experiences because this is our truest truth. Yeah. Is that Jesus was born yeah. of a virgin. He did live and die and rise again and he will come again. Like that is, it's not just what we say in the Apostles' Creed. We say it for a reason. Right. Because it is true. This is the Christmas story. I mean, that is why a almost full survey of the Bible that we did again today, we can't help ourselves, is the Christmas story. And that you said, you know, it's where heaven and earth meet. The Christmas story is the incarnation. We have heaven and earth meeting in the garden. We have heaven and earth meeting in Revelation 21 in the second advent. And we have heaven and earth meeting in Bethlehem. Right. Yeah. It's God with us. Yeah. It's the yeah. thrill of hope. This is why it is thrilling. <laughs> Okay, guys, this was fantastic. We are nearing the end of our time. I know that last week we talked about some of our favorite Christmas carols, but this week I want to talk about favorite Christmas movies. Do you guys have anything that you just love that have to watch every year? Can I give my my gut reaction most honest answer? I'm nervous. It's Elf. Yeah. I mean, I I love all of the classics. I really, really do. Although the classic animation, like the claymation it's stuff, harder is, and harder. is getting harder and harder. The older I Like get, Rudolph? I can't. No. Can't. It's too Rudolph tough. and I don't get along. Mm-hmm. However, but Elf, like I just want, like Smiling is my favorite. Like I mm-hmm. just want to see it every time. And I feel like for our family, it's become a classic along with Home Alone. But, <laughs> but, but more Elf. Yeah. Or Elf. You don't have to like fast forward anything enough. You know, so I found, good. so we have a good number of 20-somethings that work at our office and there are a surprising number of them to whom like Elf is not beloved. Like I <gasps> wonder we if a we are like company of a certain age um, oh. and that's why we love Elf so much. And then our kids love it. But I think that there's sort of like a middle section of people who did not grow up watching elf or something or maybe it's just like well, i was a grown-up maybe our yeah. maybe our girls are outliers we need to have a company screening i think of we're elf. gonna have to have a movie night yeah. well, movie day movie question, afternoon yeah. the real question to get the comparison is ask them which version of the grinch they like best oh my god <gasps> there's so many <gasps> but i mean or, if you're just talking the original you know animated versus the jim carrey version mm-hmm. which because that I I think is a, that's a generational gap or Miracle on 34th Street, you have to love the original. Yeah. You have to. You're not allowed to love the newer ones. It's a different storyline, in my opinion. That's true. Yeah. That's true. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think what about we you have, guys? Um, we have a couple of traditions, but one of my favorites is when we ditch the children. I love my kids. <laughs> but uh, usually sort of in the 20s of December, so early 20s of December, every year the Franklin Theater does a screening of White Christmas on the big screen. And so every year, my sister and her husband, Caleb, and then Ryan and I go to the Franklin Theater and we get right down front are the like tables instead of like theater seats. And you can sit down front and bring food or whatever. They have, you know, food that you can order there. But you're so close to the huge screen and watching Danny Kaye. And it's just marvelous. There's nothing like you can watch it at home. It's great. But watching it enormous every year and people oh. cannot help but sing along in a really sweet, not obnoxious way. That's one of my favorite Christmas traditions, which kind of makes it one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's like the way it was meant to be watched. Though. I think the so. Big screen. Yeah. My kids just watched it for the first time two years ago. Did they like it? And they loved it. Good. They loved it. Like they watched it multiple times. It's the dancing. The yeah. dancing is so delightful. Doing choreography. <laughs> <laughs> I think our goal should be to sing at least once. I don't every know why episode. not. Yeah. Okay, John, what's yours? I feel like I have a good guess. Well, no, I mean, 
I'm going to be boring. It's the it's the cliche one. I love It's a Wonderful Life. I mean... It is really good. There's nothing wrong. There's no, no shame. It's I, cliche for a reason. Yeah, it is. And like what I find fascinating about it is... Well, one, I just love the movie. Like it's such a... It's just a... Like like we were talking last week. There's just a comforting like coming back to something familiar and old. And like I, you know, I only watch it at Christmas. I don't watch it throughout the year. But that black and white, hearing those familiar lines, seeing those, mm-hmm. those familiar scenes. I just, I love it. Um, There's no voice like Jimmy Stewart's voice. Right. No. And he's so great. My car, my car. It's so yep. good. <laughs> that was not an impression, but I just love the way he says stuff. It's so funny. It's so good. Well, and I, forgive uh, me. And this is my super like Bible nerdy reason. I love it. And one of the reasons I love it is because it's kind of the providence of God. Yeah. It had fallen out of copyright. Nobody liked it or very few people liked it when it first came out. And it was so, forgotten that when the copyright came up, they didn't renew it. The reason everybody knows it today is because... Is it public domain? It's public domain. Television stations were looking for cheap cheap movies to fill their holiday schedule. And so everyone started playing It's a Wonderful Life, I think, in the 70s. And so, you know, we all grew up with this is a common thing. But it it didn't catch on until, until then because... You know, it was just cheap and free, and I love that. I, I mean, I'm love... sorry to the Stewart family, right? But I, I am I grateful. Yeah, Frank Capra, sorry. Yeah, um, I do love. It's, it's my favorite Christmas movie to just have on in the background mm-hmm. yeah. while you're doing like other things. It is long. Yep. Like it I feel like long. you get to the end of the first part and you're like, oh, we're only halfway yeah. done. Yeah, yeah. But when they like dance by the pool, like in the pool, yes. the floor opens up. That's my favorite part. Yes, that I love that fun. part so much. Another Christmas movie that we love, which the way that we enjoy it is. Potentially illegal, um, which is how we like to say you're gonna Christmas. have to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're gonna say what I thought John was gonna say. Well, okay, so Charlie Brown Charlie Christmas. Charlie Brown Christmas. We love Charlie Brown oh, Christmas. I, love I just too. assumed it's not a good movie. It's, it's a half an hour. It's not a movie. Uh, well, I it feels mean, like a movie when it you're feels, a kid. It feels like on the list of Christmas movies. Yeah. It's certainly not just a TV show. It but is here's great. what we did a couple of years ago. This is my sister's idea. We had a bunch of kids. I mean, I only had two, but my sister, she just keeps making them. It's wonderful. At the time, I think she probably had four. So there were six kids, and there are about that many characters in that show. And so we got in my closet with a like a cheap podcast microphone and sat with each kid one at a time, and hardly any of them could read. But we captured their little voices saying all the lines of the entire movie. And then Ryan went to work cutting and editing and piecing it all together, laying over the music and everything. Mm. And so on Christmas morning that year, this is probably three years ago, maybe more. Oliver's voice is low now. It's hard. It's a hardship. <laughs> oh, baby Oliver I is know. gone. But the, so on Christmas morning that year, we were all at the cabin with my sister's family and my mom. And we were like, oh, let's watch Charlie Brown Christmas. And she was none the wiser. And so we started playing it. And honestly, the kids' voices were so close to the original voices that she didn't notice for a really long time. Wow. And the other funny thing about that is that she did have five. She had uh, Leo as well, and he was a baby at the time. And his job was to be Snoopy. And so all of the little moments where like Snoopy makes a funny noise or anything like that, Leo. it's Leo's little like squirrely voice. It's And so I do think that probably that's illegal to do from a copyright standpoint, but we are not charging for anyone to watch it. So free it's admission. Fine. It's fine. Free admission. I think this year um, we're going to have to use only. This year we're going to have to do some other cartoon and overlay the kids' voices. But again, Oliver's voice is ruined now. Okay, this is one of my favorite things to learn your guys' favorites. So I I feel like we have to we have to continue doing this. All right. So before we end, beauty, goodness, and truth. John and Amanda 
or Amanda, whoever has something, what beauty... Amanda, you look like you have something. You do. What beauty, goodness, oh, and or truth have, have you seen I this just, week? I just really like hearing about you guys and like the things that you love. And to me, there's goodness in that, that we can, when believers talk about Christmas, even if we're just talking about fun, like Christmas movies, yeah, right. Even if we're talking about smiling's my favorite, the foundation that connects us is the reason for the season, if you will. But it's that our joy is true and Mm -hmm. deep because of God with us because of Jesus. And so I just love, I love hearing more about you guys. It's true that we celebrate the whole season long sometimes, but there is the reason that we celebrate is because God became human. I know. And so, and even when we're talking about whatever, favorite Christmas, part of our celebration is, yes, like it's candy coated pecans and movies and all of the things that joy is good. And hearing you guys talk about it is good. And so that's mine. Okay, so what about you guys? Okay, so I have something, I guess it would be under the goodness and truth category, but it honestly feels kind of like a cool way to end today's episode. I have in front of me a little excerpt from a Spurgeon Christmas sermon. Would that be Charles? Charles, Spurgeon? one Charles Haddon Spurgeon, yes. Then he gets a beautiful because of that beard. Yeah. Oh, he had an excellent beard. Oh, I was like, gets a beautiful. What do you mean? Oh, beauty, goodness, and truth. We get (laughs) all three because of the beard. Okay, so this is just an excerpt from the Christmas sermon, and it starts, He who was from everlasting to everlasting came to this world of time and stood upon the narrow neck of land betwixt the two unbounded seas, God with us. He has not lost that name. Jesus had that name on earth, and he has it now in heaven. He is now God with us. Believer, He is God with you. To protect you, you are not alone because the Savior is with you. Put me in the desert where vegetation grows not. I can still say God with us. Put me on the wild ocean and let my ship dance madly on the waves. I would still say, Emmanuel, God with us. Mount me on the sunbeam and let me fly beyond the western sea. Still I would say, God with us. Let my body dive down into the depths of the ocean and let me hide in its caverns. Still, I could, as a child of God, say, God with us. Yes, and in the grave, sleeping there in corruption, still I can see the footmarks of Jesus. He trod the path of all his people, and still his name is God with us. Gosh, amen. Amen. I mean, there's your beauty, goodness, and truth for the week. All in one. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Rachel. Okay, gang, we will see you back here next time. Until then, you know what to say. Keep opening your Bibles.